Pastor Xavier Rees says, while the pleasure of sin is for a season, its destruction can be eternal. The son who repented returned to the father's house, realizing no matter how pleasurable sin is, it's fleeting, it's unsatisfying to its full end, and it's always destructive. It's like cotton candy. It looks so big, it looks so good, you put it in your mouth and it's gone, and now you have cavities. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke that we find the parable of the lost son, or more commonly referred to as the story of the prodigal son. And despite the emphasis on the term prodigal, meaning a wastefully extravagant lifestyle, the simple truth is this particular parable is an exhortation for how both sin and self-righteousness separate us from God. And so today, Pastor Xavier points out as children of the Heavenly Father, we all require God's grace through His unearned, unmerited love for us. Let's listen. Luke 15, we're going to look at verses 11 through 32. The message is entitled, The Lost Son Saved by Grace. The parable of the two sons unfolds for us in three movements. First, we have the son who chose to live in sin, 11 through 16. Three main characters, the father, the two sons. Both sons are lost. Don't forget that. The son asks for his inheritance. He's the younger one in 12. He approaches his father. He says, Father, he requests for that which pertains to him, which was lawful, according to Deuteronomy 21, 16 through 17, the right of inheritance. And notice that he was not resisted by the father, but he received this portion. He divided them of his livelihood. The younger son soon after decided to leave home. Notice what it says. And not many days after, so therefore his plans were already thought in his mind. That's why he's asking for this cash out. He's already planned. I'm getting out of here. The plans were to move far away, notice, from home and father journey to a far country. Now notice at the end of 13 and 14, the younger son gave himself over now to a life of sin. He spent all of his inheritance. It says that there he wasted his possessions. He was living high on the hog, had it all. Now he began to be unwanted, says. That means he had no means of caring for himself on any level due to his choices. Though you may think your, your progression is upward, it's downward. It'll never be upward in sin. It's always downward. A degrading position for this Jew, he's feeding pigs. In 16, he became desperate to eat. And, and what, where's he at? What, what, what food does he have? Nothing. He would gladly have filled his stomach, it says, with the pots of the swine that they ate. Now, he had everything in the father's house, as he's going to look back. And now he has all this. And notice that he was given Nothing. No one was willing to help him. Look at 19. He came to the place of humbling himself. Notice the progression. He came to himself. He made confession. And he humbles himself. He acknowledged he had dishonored his father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He understood the vile depth of his sin and sinful condition that he had brought upon himself. He did not want his father to be connected with him. Or his sin. 
What a change. So he asked his father for a job. That's what he's contemplating he's going to be doing. This is all what he's going to do. Make me like one of your higher servants, having no rights of a son and earning his daily keep. His sincere and genuine repentance is evident by his actions, not mere remorse. Repentance is a 180-degree turnaround. You're walking away from God. Now you're walking towards God. He went to speak now face to face with his father. And he says, and he arose and he came to his father. And the tense is a participle error is active. Literally, having risen up, he was on his way. And he was greeted with unexpected loving kindness. He, you know, he, he knows what he's done. He knows where he's at. The father was moved by his tender love for his son, knowing his return indicated repentance. It's implied in the parable. He says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, pity. The father represents God, the father. When we get to 22 to 24, the lost son was forgiven and welcomed back. He was welcomed back by the father. In 22, the father confirmed his restored status of a son, but the father said to his servant, I mean, he, he doesn't even finish what all he's going to say. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Joseph had a coat of many colors that marked his favorite position as a son in Genesis 37.3. Here he restores him as his son completely, the robe on him. The father confirmed his vested authority to his son and put a ring on his hand. Pharaoh gave Joseph his signet ring to rule with Pharaoh's authority in Genesis 41, 42. And the father confirmed his freedom and sandals on his feet. Slaves did not have sandals or shoes, only free men. The father conferred then a celebration over his repentance and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry, verse 23. This was an animal carefully and specially fed and kept for special occasions. What greater special occasion could it be than this? None. None could compare to this. This was a time of eating and being merry, which means joyously glad. It's a joyous time. Notice the father stated the significance of this occasion. Don't miss it. Restoration and celebration. 24. He had turned from his sin and returned home. For this my son was dead and is alive again. The father did not mourn or regret that he came home. He celebrated it. He had turned to God to be saved. He was lost and is found. Clearly indicating he was not saved prior to the time of leaving by the sharp double contrast, was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Even though he was in the father's house, he was lost. He and his son now expressed joy, and they began to be merry, glad and rejoicing. What an incredible picture we have here. You remember Simon the Pharisee as Jesus accepted a dinner engagement, and as he was eating, this prostitute came in and began to 
washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dry them with her hair. And Simon said to himself, if this man knew what manner of woman she was, he would have nothing to do with her. Jesus, reading his thoughts, says, Simon, I have someone to say to you. He says, say on, master. He says, there were two creditors, one uh, owed millions, billions, the other one insignificant, minimal amount. The master forgave them both. Who will love the most? Very smugly, Simon says, well, the one who has forgiven the most. He says, you see this woman? She has been forgiven much, so she loves much. The reflection of a sinner of their own sinful life is due to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not because they're moral or ethical. Conscience is good only to tell me what is right and what is wrong, but I learned to use it to excuse and to justify myself. Romans 2.15 tells me that. Conscience cannot empower me to live for God. All it can tell me is that there's a right way to live, there's a wrong way to live. Conscience can be calloused and indoctrinated to the point where you don't believe there's a God or right or wrong. And the more you sin against your conscience, the less you seem and sense that it's wrong. 1 Timothy 4.2 Conviction of sin comes by the preaching of the gospel as a person's heart is open, illuminated by God, and then that person makes that decision through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will not make us, will not force us. And so we're the ones that either repent and draw close to God and He saves us and forgives us, or we reject Him and go on our way into greater sin and greater darkness. First Thessalonians, listen to what Paul says, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but um, also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that convicted them and saved them. In fact, the next chapter, chapter 2 of First Thessalonians, verse 13 he says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is the, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So it's the power of the word of God through the Holy Spirit that makes this all possible. And then we decide whether we're going to repent or not. The need of repentance is to confess one's sins to God, to be forgiven of all that I've done, to be born again, to be justified before God, to be a new creature, to be a son or a daughter of God, to have eternal life. By the grace of God. It's all by the grace of God. Listen to John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And that's the decision that we're making. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ, you may think I'm out to lunch, and you walk out of here, you're under God's wrath. Not because you rejected what I'm saying, because you rejected God, you rejected God, the good gospel. But if you repent, then He pours His grace on you, He forgives you. The evidence of repentance is that a person no longer lives a life of sin after asking Christ to save them. We have a new heart, Hebrews 10, 22. We have a new mind, the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 3. We have a new nature, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, able to overcome the things of the world and, and the sinful nature. Never sinless, never perfect, but we can hit the mark now. We have a new hope, Titus 3, 7. 
the hope of Jesus Christ. The son who repented from sin returned to the father's house. He chose it. He chose to return. Notice thirdly, the third movement in 25 through 32. Now, if the story ended here, oh, it'd be so great. Now, if it ended in the first movement, that's bad. Many people end there. They remain in sin all their life. Others are saved. This is the second movement. But there's a third movement, which is a sharp warning to those who think they're saved. And they're not. Listen carefully. The son who chose to remain lost in sin. Look at 25 down to the first part of 28. The response of the older brothers given to us here. In 25, he was unaware of his brother's return. He's oblivious to what's going on. He's getting home from work. The older brother comes in from the field, verse 25 says. And uh, he was startled as he hears this feasting and the, the, the music and the dancing. And, you know, he's wondering what's going on. And he inquires from a servant in 26. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he was told that his father was celebrating the return of his younger brother. That did it. When he heard that, he went postal. His father had welcomed him back. Listen to the words. He says to him, your brother has come and because he has received them safe and sound. Now the servant he doesn't know the politics of the, of the family. He's just communicating and probably with joy the celebration. And as he's saying this, you can bet that he's looking at the face of this, this older brother. His father prepared the special calf. It, it, keep, it, it gets worse for him. Your father has killed the fatted calf. He was furious. He wanted no part of it. But he was angry. He refused to go in to welcome his brother and to celebrate with him. We get the resentful attitude here of the older brethren, the end of 28 to 30. Notice the progression. In 28, his father came out and pleaded with him. The father's then rejoicing over the return of his son from sin. And the father heard, he must have heard commotion. Maybe the older brother raised his voice, an outburst. He did what? Anger there means that built up for years. And you know, when you hold that stuff, you get pretty funky. The fathers in meekness pleaded, urging and pleading with him to rejoice for his younger brother. Repeatedly, he went out there. He could see the attitude, the reluctance, the bitterness, the anger. Now notice the contrast between the compassion and loving attitude of the father who represents God and the uncompassionate and unloving attitude of the older brother. Now, God is holy. The older brother is sinful. God's not mad, but he is. In 29, he expressed his arrogant displeasure about his father's decision. He reminded his father in 29 about his loyalty as a hired servant. It's an insult to his father. The word doulos is used there, not a loving son. So he answered and said to his father, now he's not talking nice to his dad. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. That's the word as a hired servant. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. Then he chides his father for not celebrating him, but rewarding 
the sinful son. Listen to his words. And yet you, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And so he expressed his disappointment with both brother and father in 30s. His bitterness for his brother was spewed, couldn't contain it anymore, not claiming him as his brother. Listen. But as soon as th this your son, this son of yours came, not my brother, your son, Ooh. his resentful disgust for his brother was stated by slander, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Did, did the younger brother say that he did that? No. You think he probably did? Probably. But the older brother doesn't know this. It's slander. He doesn't know it for sure. His disagreement about his father's restoration and celebration of his younger brother is very clear. He says, and you kill the fatted calf for him. We're not told if the father was aware of this relationship or if it had been hidden all along. But nevertheless, it's portrayed in all its ugliness of human sinfulness. The wrongfulness of the older brother's attitude and words are dealt with as the last blow in 31 and 32. In 31, his father reproved his older son. He pointed out his blessed state. Listen carefully. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. The word son is the word technon, an endearing term, a loving term. As if we would say, you know, guys, 40, 50, Johnny, my dear son, pleading, affection, endearment. And he pointed out that his portion of inheritance had not changed. And all that I have is yours. Son, whether your brother came back or not, you're not a penny poor. The two-thirds are yours already. So it really wasn't about money, was it? His father rebuked his older son in 32. He pointed out that their contagious joy was absolutely justified. Listen to his words. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong in your attitude and your actions. The older brother represents the Pharisees and scribes who were complaining about sinners coming to Jesus and eating with them in verse 1 and 2 of the chapter. The heart of this problem in the parable here is the heart. The older brother was self-righteous, considering himself better than his younger brother, having no compassion, lost himself while in the father's house. He pointed out the most important thing about his brother. That is the father. Listen. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. His brother, younger brother, was dead spiritually. Now he's spiritually alive. What better joy and news could it be that a person has repented and come to God? His brother was lost, ruined, literally perished, perishing for all eternity, but now he's found. He's saved. The clear proclamation is salvation in this third part of the parable, the climax of the two, previous one. 
The two lost sons were in the father's house. They weren't saved. One returned saved. The other remained lost always in the father's house. I always hear sermons of the prodigal son that the parable of the prodigal son teaches that if you are a Christian and you walk away, you'll always come back if you're a prodigal, if you're really saved. But really, that's Calvinistic doctrine that is totally foreign to this text. Both of these boys were lost. They weren't saved when they left, the one. All three have the central message of joy in heaven over salvation over one sinner who repents. That's the punchline. Verse 6 and 7, 9 and 10, 23 and 24, and 32 here, just in case you didn't get it. <laughs> this has nothing to do with a Christian. It has to do with a sinner who repents. Jesus spoke a parable, remember, of that wicked, unjust servant who was forgiven much by his master in Matthew 18, 31 through 35. And uh, he had a, a debt that was unable to be paid. And, um, and, and he just pleaded with his master. He forgave him. And then he went out and grabbed one of his fellow servants who owed him pennies. Grabbed them and says, pay me what you owe me. And the man pleaded with him, begged, and he did not throw you in jail. Another servant was watching him and saw what he did. So he went back to the master. And he says, master, this guy, the guy you forgave everything to, he just threw one of his guys in jail. He owed him pennies. So he recalled him. And he says, then his master, after he had called them, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due. Listen, here's the punchline of that parable to Christians. Listen, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. For God to forgive me as a Christian in fellowship, it's tied and dependent upon my forgiving others who ask me forgiveness. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Second Peter 3, 9 says. We all are to regard no one after the flesh. That means the way they used to be. The guy was a druggie before. When you see him, I hope you don't say, hey, here comes a druggie. They're new creatures. The young lady who was promiscuous, do you see her as a new creature, godly? Or do you see her as she was? That's a rebuke to me, to you, while in the Father's house. God help us. We are sinners who have been cleansed by Jesus. And Jesus told Peter from the rooftop there at Joppa, Whatever God has cleansed, never call common. Acts 10, 15. Listen to Jesus. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5, 32. I presume you qualify. I certainly do. The son who chose to remain lost in sin was always lost and remained lost in the Father's house. What an incredible parable the climax of three parts, three movements. The son who chose to live in sin left the father's house. The son who chose to repent from sin returned to the father's house. And the son who chose to remain lost in sin was always lost in the father's house. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of a Heavenly Father that always continues to lovingly seek after us, regardless of the state we're in. And today's message titled, A Lost Son, Saved by Grace, is available as always on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, A Lost Son, Saved by Grace. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Are your material goals causing you to be spiritually bankrupt? More on the fleeting value of earthly riches on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 